Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody out this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about the family this morning. And when we're talking about the family, we have heard the numbers, and they are not in our favor. Everyone here has heard that 50% of all American marriages end up in divorce. But the truth is that that might not even be half of it. A man named Dana Shapiro wrote a book titled, You Can Be Right or You Can Be Married. And in preparation for his book, he polled hundreds, maybe thousands of couples, married couples, not divorced ones. Ones who have stayed together and his statistics revealed that it may be the case that over 80%, not 50%, but over 80% of all American marriages are unhappy ones. And that's a terrible number. While you and I uh, may sit in this room and we may feel insulated from all that, we may feel because we worship in a place like this that the effects of this culture on the home don't affect us so much. The truth is we spend about only about three and a half hours a week in here and we spend 164 and a half hours a week out there. And we are without the training of God's word, just as susceptible to those things as anyone else. And when you add the number 75 in there, studies have shown that 75% of young people raised in the church and church going homes leave the faith after they move away. You start putting all that together and you realize that it's not just the family that's under attack. It's your family and it's my family that's under attack. Now there is good news. If we let God build our homes, we can beat those odds. We can protect our family largely against the influences of this world and this culture. But if the presence of God in our homes and letting him build our relationships will make us stronger, then you already know that the opposite is true. Psalms 127 verse 1, the Bible warns, unless God builds the house, no matter what effort we put into it, no matter how many episodes of Dr. Phil we have recorded on our DVR, or how many counseling sessions you pay for, unless God builds the house, we labor in vain. The very next Psalm, uh, uh, Psalm 128 verse 1, it starts out this way. It says, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Blessings are ours in our homes if we act and live in a way that pleases him. And this morning I want to share with you three ideas from scripture, three basic ideas that if we allow to live in our homes that you will see something great. The lesson this morning is not just about a husband and a wife. It's about the responsibility of everyone who lives in the confines of a family in any capacity. And if you and I are willing to apply these these basic ideas, you will see improvements in every relationship that you have all the way across the board, but most specifically this morning with the family. But I'll I'll have to warn you, our applications this morning are going to be personal. All three points 
are very personal points. And what I mean is we're not gonna be using a lot of pronouns like she or he or they or them. That's not the kind of lesson we're gonna be talking about this morning. This is a personal lesson that includes two pronouns. One of them is him, but the other one is you. The power of your family, <clears throat> it resides in you. Let's make some observations this morning. The first one is this. Am I willing to say on behalf of myself and myself alone that the strength of the Brown family depends largely on my faithfulness to God? And I'm interested in this morning to know if you're willing to say that about your family. Are you willing to admit early on in our study this morning that the strength of your last name dwells largely in your faithfulness. And it doesn't matter if you're a father or a mother or a husband or wife or a parent or child. Your input matters. Open your Bibles uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> what is true of a local church is also true of a local family. We're always talking about how local churches are, are only as strong as what? The preacher? Is a local church only as strong as the gospel preachers or the eldership? Well, absolutely not. We're constantly reminded, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 16, where it says, But from the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We talk about that a lot. The strength of the Springer Road Church of Christ is only as great as what each member here supplies. And that's why everyone matters. Everyone's worship matters. Everyone's participation and faithfulness and everyone's choices matter because we are only as strong as you are. And that's why we work together. <clears throat> What's true of the church is also true of your family. In my family, it's all, it is only the total, the sum total of its parts. But that's saying something because you're part of that. Your family is as strong as what each individual piece provides. So we need to provide for faithfulness for our family. So if your faithfulness matters, here are four things that you and I are gonna need to do to make our families better. And the first thing is that you and I must love God. And I mean really completely and totally love God. Uh, open your Bibles with, uh, uh, with me to Matthew chapter 22. Do you remember in, in uh, Matthew 22 how Jesus describes what it means to love God? It, it's not some passing affection for God or an emotional response to just the, you know, the, the idea of, of God. The, to love God is complete immersion, I guess you could say, uh, uh, in serving and building our relationship with him. I'm talking about Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, where it says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, You shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is all in, 100%. I'm going to read a quote that you may or you may not agree with. And when I first read it, I didn't think, I wasn't too sure that I agreed with it. But as I think more and more about it, 
I'm, I'm really not so sure now. Here it is. You cannot love your family until you love your God. How's that? Until you learn to love God, and remember we're talking here about verse 37, we're talking about a complete giving over to his service and appreciation of who he is. Until I learn to love God like that, I can't love my family like I should. And somebody might argue and say, well, I love God, and my love for God may not be as strong as it should, but I love my wife and my children. If you love your family members, if your love for your family members is not based off of love for God, whatever love you have is, is purely subjective. It's whatever you think it is, and it's emotional, and it's based on how you feel and what you think is right. When you learn to love God and you give yourself completely over to Him, like it says in verse 37, you learn what unconditional affection feels and looks like. And then, here's the important part, we project it <coughs> on the people in our lives. And I'm not going to ask you if you love your wife or your husband or your parents or your children. We don't need to ask that question this morning. The first question is, do I or do you love God? Because your family is going to need that kind of love. And you first learn it with your Savior. The second observation we'll make is loving God starts us in the right direction toward the right kind of affection. But you know what else? If you love the integrity of your family, you and I must obey the gospel. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, Verse 16, he said, Who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Do you remember the rest? It says, He who disbelieves shall be what? Condemned. That's a strong word. If, I'm, if I am a member of my family and I have not obeyed the gospel, I may proclaim a love for God, but I have not obeyed. I have not subjected myself in repentance. I have not been buried in water for the forgiveness of my sins. My influence on my family is what? It's condemnation. Have you ever been looking to move into a new neighborhood? And you ask the realtor before he moved in, are there any condemned houses in this neighborhood? And, you know, the realtor, hey, you know, I just want to know before I sign the paper, are there any condemned houses? And, and the realtor says, yes, the house right on the corner uh, when you come in the neighborhood is condemned and your response is you know wonderful that's going to be great for my investment in this neighborhood but we know the facts a condemned house brings the value down of any neighborhood doesn't it but something interesting about a condemned house is that when you renovate it from the inside out you make it new and whole again the exact opposite effect happens it uplifts the value of the entire neighborhood you are the house on the corner, and I am the house on the corner, and the rest of the houses in the neighborhood, they are the people that you love. They are your family. You can <coughs> lift them to greater heights in Christ if you obey the gospel, but the opposite is true if we don't. Our faithfulness to God makes our family better. <coughs> A third thing we need to consider is, to need, is the need to read and study God's word. We all know Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 that it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
when a person when a person reads God's word, they grow in trust and in their faith. It grows. A, fa- a faithful family must be a family who reads and studies the word of God. It says here again, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where faith comes from. There are no shortcuts to that. Open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'd like to look at verses 15 and 16 and the Apostle Paul's message to a young man named Timothy. And here's what he said. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Look, anybody can say nothing. It's, it's real easy. Just open your mouth and start talking. Saying things that don't help and don't matter and don't bring us together, that's easy. That's a piece of cake. Very few people can say the words that are needed to bring people who have been divided back together. Very few people can select the right phrases that brings perspective to the scene and put God back in the middle because those phrases usually do not exist in our brain. They exist in the Bible. And when I read and accurately handle those words in my home, in my family, and I read and study as I grow in my knowledge of what is right, I begin to spread that among the people that I love. Anybody can give bad advice. God gives perfect guidance in the family. So I would ask you, do you want your family to thrive? Are you interested in beating those statistics? You can do it, but it boils down to to faith, to our faith. What does a family's faith look like? People say, I have a faithful family. Now, what does that mean? You're saying that each member of your uh, family is faithful, but each member is only faithful, Romans 10, 17, when each member is reading and studying God's Word. There's a fourth observation about how my personal faithfulness will make my family stronger, and it is, of course, simple, living the right way. Romans chapter 12 is a passage that we have read and studied before. And in Romans chapter 12, what we're being challenged to do is put some substance to our words. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, you remember where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or raise them up in the discipline of instruction of the Lord. Think about what that... Think about what that little phrase means where it says, do not provoke them to anger. That phrase means, and that phrase is talking about hypocritical inconsistency. When a father preaches one thing, even has a little Bible to go with it, he's preaching to his kids, but they're not listening. They're watching and they're observing his speech and his choices and the way that he serves his family. The idea here is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, is that all brethren, every one of us, here starting in verse 1, it says, present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to prove that. But I do not simply want to prove to the world God's, that God's will works. I do want to prove it to the world. You know, we want them to be saved, but I want to prove it to my wife and my children, and I do that by consistent living. Somebody says, our family is in trouble. I want to make it better. I want to make it right. Where do I start? It starts with your choices and what your actions are teaching those that are around you. And I'm talking about three things this morning. The first one is very basic. You might be listening and thinking, I, I thought this was going to be a sermon on the, on the family, but you're, you're talking about my love and obedience to the gospel. That's exactly the point we're making this morning. You can't separate the two because your family is the sum total of all its parts and you are one of those parts. Here's the second observation. The first thing was personal faithfulness, but the second is a sense of personal responsibility. That's something you don't, people don't want to hear about these days. What this means is an understanding that no matter what role you have in the family, if you're a grandparent or a grandchild or anything in between, you have influence. The things that you say and do have an influence on the members of your family and the way they feel today and the way they may react and how much sleep they may get at night may be based on you and the influence that you have on them. Sometimes I watch dramas on television. It's usually not by choice. It's usually somewhere in the 1800s, but I sit in my recliner and I watch a TV screen with all this drama and there are all these characters going uh, going through all this turmoil and I can sit on my recliner and I can judge every one of those characters. I can tell you that there's the good guy and there's the bad guy and, and here's a mistake that he's made and here's what they should do and, and I can sit back and look and, and it's okay for me to do that because I'm not in the picture. It's already being recorded and it's being replayed from a streaming service somewhere. A lot of us lives on, live in our families that same way. Like I'm on the outside looking at my family like it's on a TV screen. I can tell you everything that's wrong. I can tell you what she's not doing right. I can tell you how these kids need to do this and I can really look at it. The problem is I'm looking at my family as if I'm not in the picture. The problem is that I am in the picture and I'm a part of everything that's going on. My approach, my words, my actions are affecting everything else. And so let's look at a few relationships where we can illustrate this. Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6? <clears throat> let's talk about young people. The first relationship that we have in this life is as a child to our parents. The first test you get in the trials of dealing with others in your lifetime is that from being a child to your mother and your father. The Bible has been very specific about how that ought to be handled, and there are passages for this, but I'm going to go and just read this one. 
says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother, mother, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. You know, does verse 3 mean that they may kill you? It does. It, it does mean that. Under the old covenant, it quite literally meant that. They lived longer when they did what their parents told them to do. Uh, you know, that's not literally true in terms of punishment today, but it is very true in terms of the choices that you make in this life and how that bears out. Children, you know, listen, you have an effect on your parents. Ever wonder why your mom is still up at, at midnight when you come home a little past your curfew or maybe a lot past your curfew? Ever wonder why... They're always talking about what's going on your, in your life and, and why they always asking all these questions and why they cry and why they see things uh, when they see things they don't enjoy and they smile and laugh when they see things that they do. And some, many, maybe teenagers think, why are they so interested in all this? Why are they so invested? This is none of their business. This is my life. I'm making my way and why does every choice, good or bad, why does every choice I make have such an impact on my mom or on my family? It's because we are family. Because I am their son or daughter and every good decision I make has an effect on them and every poor decision that I make has a, an effect on them as well. But, look, your parents are not just mean people by nature. They really want to be nice people. <laughs> you know, your parents outside of the context of parenting you, we know them, and they're really nice folks. Maybe just maybe, <laughs> maybe just, they're just possibly, they're angry, and they're sad, and they're, they're hurt. And maybe it's because of what you're doing and the effect that you're having. But look, the opposite is true. You can make them feel tremendous. They're going to take all the credit for the good things you do, and you know, that's okay too because children are gifts. The psalmist says they are arrows and olive plants for the benefit of their parents. But that's just the first relationship that we had. Later on when we get a little older, we're gonna enter a relationship maybe called marriage. And now I am a husband. Do I understand that every word <laughs> that comes out of my mouth when I'm talking to my wife, every decision that I make, my demeanor and my attitude, <laughs> do I understand that all of that affects the way that she feels? That she's not just naturally moody. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's my action that's creating that reaction because... Look, take the maybe out of it. It's, it's just a fact of life. That's the way relationships work. Someone does something and someone else re reacts to it. Someone acts a certain way and someone else feels the repercussions of that action. The Bible says something in Ephesians chapter 5 about the way the husband should have an effect on his wife. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25, it says... Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Here's an effect, all right, 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself, talking about Christ in the church, uh, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be, and I want to note this carefully, that she would be holy and blameless. Men, men in a larger part than you can ever know, you make her who she is. You affect how she feels. You affect whether she can think today on godly things and please her heavenly father or whether she can't just seem to deal with everything that's happening. You're a factor in that outcome. <clears throat> when a husband says, I will take the responsibility for the effect I have on my wife and I will make her better and I will make her holy, she will become that. And in part, it will be because of your Christ-like love. That's Christ-like love, having a positive effect on the person that you love. And we, wives are not exempt. Wives can have a deep effect <coughs> on husbands. You know, we try to act like that you don't, you know, because we know everything. And we can handle everything. You know, we're macho. We can handle it on our own. And we're unaffected. And we're unemotional. And when we think that and we say that to ourselves, we're liars. Did I just say that last thing? We act like you don't matter. And that's ridiculous. Everything about who I am as a person, about how I feel, about what I and what I say and how I'll spend the rest of my day is directly constructed by the kind of love that my wife has for me and the way that she speaks to me and how she tries to pick me up when I need it, and how she brings me down when that's what God would have. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 3. Do you remember that wives, by using their power, and you have so much of it, by using your power righteously, look at what you can do in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the, by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. In verse 4, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. If a soft-spoken, respectful pure and gentle woman can convert a lost man who has rejected God, if she can convert a lost man to Christ, she can make a Christian man great if he'll let her. But to some extent, extent there's no letting going on here. This is the way relationships work. Whether husbands want it or not, wives will affect the outcomes and should take that responsibility and cherish it deeply. And now we get to number four, raising these kids. And it's no more obvious the point we're making about my influence on the, on the situation and our ability to determine part of the outcome than when you talk about raising your children. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at that passage. We've already referenced it. Verse 4. 
You know, that's an interesting word here. The word says fathers here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. I think it's a primary application uh, of fathers here is a very good idea, but the plural word for father is actually commonly used in their language back then as parents. It includes mothers as well. So the very nature of these words includes both parents. In this verse, we know that it says, do not provoke your children to anger. And I've already mentioned, I think that's when a man does not live faithfully to God. It says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We, we're going to sit back, you know, and we're going to watch a lot of television and play a lot of sports, and we're going to work a lot of extra hours, and our kids are going to grow up, and they're going to be gone. And when they leave, if they're unfaithful, we're not going to have any idea what happened. And if they're faithful somehow, well, you know, we're perfect parents. You don't get credit for that unless you help that outcome happen. Take responsibility for your influence in the lives of your children. They belong to you, which is awesome, until you realize what we're really saying. They have been entrusted to you, and you're responsible for that. Here's a third thing, and a final thing that I want to leave you with. We need these first two ideas. I'm going to serve God, and, and that will naturally make people around me better. I'm going to take responsibility about how I, how I affect, affect you. But finally, we also need some good old-fashioned, down-home, old-school, personal penitence. You know, sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I make a mistake. Sometimes I don't treat my wife like I should. Sometimes I don't lead my children like I ought. Sometimes I don't call my mom on her birthday. Y'all know what I mean? I mean, it's easy to list the mistakes of everybody else in the room. And I'll tell you what you did wrong. I'll tell you what's going on with my kids and how the culture is affecting them. And I'll tell you about mom and dad and how out of touch they are. And you know, to some extent, you can find fault in others. Everybody has fault. So that's pretty easy to do. You know what's a little harder to do? Number one, finding the good in others. But number two, finding fault in yourself. My personal ability to admit when I'm wrong will, will make my family stronger than I ever imagined that it would. You know what insanity is? You've heard it before, doing the same thing over and over again and then expecting somehow this time it'll work out different. You can try pride and you can try pride again, and you can try pride from a different angle, and it's never gonna give the result of a strong Christian family because God demands not pride, he demands humility. Let's look at 1 John chapter one. 1 John one talks a lot about this idea, what it means when someone is unwilling to admit their faults. Look at verse, verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. It's very much a self-deception. It's always somebody else's fault. And you genuinely believe that. You believe that if everybody else would get their game shaped up, everything would work out. I know when, I, when I've taken that stance, I believed I was right. He said, look, if we say that we're never wrong and we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that's insanity to continue along that path. 
Let me tell you, we go to great lengths. There are young people, and I was one of them at one point in time, where you could take everything away that I had. You could take away my guns, you could take away my dirt bike, you could take away the car keys when I got a little older, but I will not tell mom she was right and I was wrong. You know what I learned years later? If I had just admitted I was wrong immediately and taken responsibility, she would not have taken any of it away. That's true of marriage and true of every relationship. First John chapter one. So here's what we need to say about, about this. Two things before we close. What does it mean to have a sense of personal penitence? We need humility, and here's how it starts. It starts on a very personal level. Penitence does not start in the way that you interact with other people. It starts with your prayer life, the way you talk with God. Uh, we talk to God, and we thank Him for His blessings, and we talk about the other things we're doing right and trying to do better. In 1 John chapter 1, the point here in verse 8, it's, it's not about people who are hiding their sins from other people. It's about people who are hiding their sins from God. And so in verse 9 it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about that. He will forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all un unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Also, when you move into chapter 2, he starts in verse 1 by talking about how Jesus died so our sins can be forgiven and that, that he rules as high priest to make you clean, but you have to confess them and be willing to acknowledge them and admit them. You know, we read verses sometimes like Acts chapter 3, verse 19. You remember Peter's Second sermon in Acts 3.19 where it talks about the, the need to repent and turn to God. And we talk about how a lost person needs to do that to be a Christian. But, but hang on a minute. Repenting in order to be, to be a Christian, that's just the first repentance that you'll ever do with purpose. I live my life acknowledging when I've taken wrong steps and being willing to turn and make it right. So we need this in our family. We need more conversations that start with, I can do better. I have made a mistake. <laughs> Two words, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not easy to do. When is the last time you sat down with your own wife or, or husband or child and said, you know, I've messed up. I am sorry and I'm going to make this better. But people respond to that. Relationships are built on the compassion that comes out of penitence. Let me show you a couple of Proverbs before we close, and we're going to talk about confessing humbly to your family. The ability to do that, to understand that this is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Look in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12. Two Proverbs as we wrap this up. 26, verse 12, it says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Ever known anybody like that? They're always right. They can't be corrected. 
and they can't take criticism and they don't want to talk about it. It's a waste of their perfect time because they're all, they always have the right answer. Do you enjoy being around people like that? Absolutely not. You know, I've got the internet. If I need answers, I'll Google it. You know, not even that is reliable and perfect. I don't like hanging around with people who always have the right answers and always know everything and they're always perfect because I know that's not true. It's not true of me and it's not true of them. But the real question is, have you ever been that person? There's the real question. Remember, we're not talking about everybody else this morning. We're trying to do some self-evaluation. Here's a passage. While this is certainly true, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. As far as Proverbs go, that will have a direct effect on the people that you love. I don't think you will ever read a proverb more important than Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. It says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. You know, I don't know how this works, but it does. When you confess and repent and apologize and you're willing to say that you're sorry and people see that in your eyes, it softens their hearts. They will show compassion, just like Jesus does every time you pray to Him. What I want to leave you with, by way of invitation this morning, are two words. You and Him. That's all this is about today. You make it right with Him. You make it right with Him. Everybody in your life will benefit from that decision. Is that a decision you need to make today? To repent of some sin, to show that humility, and to put on Christ and become renovated. Become that renovated house that makes everybody in your family better. If so, now's the time as we come forward, as we stand and sing the invitation song.